Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Lord, it, it exceeds our expectations. As you've said in your word that you're able to do super abundantly more than we're able to ask or even think according to your power that works in us. Same Holy Spirit that is, is working these miracles and these mighty manifestations resides in us and enables us to live lives that glorify you. And I thank you for Brother Andrew. And I just pray that you strengthen and use him and, and manifest your presence in and through his life as he shares the word today. Give us ears to hear what you'd have us um, to understand, Lord, as you speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Right, this sermon today, or the word that the Lord has laid in my heart. Uh, let me just say very briefly, Pastor Patrick had approached me several weeks ago and asked me if I wouldn't mind um, stepping in one Sunday um, in August to actually bring the word. And, um, you know, after time of contemplating and prayer and so on, eventually I came up with um, a portion in scripture that was first shared with me when I was a teenager. And um, just to put it into perspective, to get you ready, um, Richard T. gave you a sumptuous meal last week. Is that right? Agreed? But this week, I'm going to give you some bitter herbs. And, um, but if you know anything about bitter herbs, the reason why bitter herbs was eaten after they had a sumptuous meal was for help with the purification of the body. And um, I'm going to be sharing from perhaps what I consider one of the most solemn books in the Bible. Anybody have an idea which book that is? Exactly, spot on, Ecclesiastes. And um, just briefly, it's one of the three books that was written by Solomon. And some commentators felt that Solomon, he wrote the songs of Solomon during his younger days. He wrote the book of Proverbs during midlife. But Ecclesiastes was written closer to old age. Now, another very interesting part is that Solomon wrote this book at a time when the average life mortality or life expectancy would have been in late 30s or 40s. And you wonder to yourself as you approach the, the, the portion I'm going to share with you in detail, chapter 12, how is it that Solomon would be writing to young people about preparing for old age when the average young person at that time didn't really live to what we today would describe as old age? Um, so I wondered to myself, is this really Solomon, the Lord inspiring Solomon, to write more so for those in the 20th century in the Western Hemisphere, where our average life expectancy is 70 plus? So what I would like us to do is to just turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and I'm just going to cover the first seven verses. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near, when you say, I have no pleasure in them. 
while the sun and the light, the moon and the stars, are not darkened. And the clouds do not return after the rain. In the days when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look through the windows grow dim, when the doors are shut in the streets, and the sound of grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of music are brought low, and they are afraid of heights and of terrors in the way, when the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden, and desire fails. For man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was. Yeah. Very analogical language, language that is very symbolic. And if you just read through it in, and just in terms of seeing it in a figurative way, I think you won't really get the meaning. But it has so much to say about us as we journey from youth to old age. What Solomon is really saying is that he's calling us from our youth to have a heart of commitment to God. Not an expectation of happy life. I think what we've seen in the last few days, I mean, there's no simplistic one explanation. But one of the things that really, I think, has impressed on my heart was how, in fact, our society has moved so rapidly, and I'm talking, you know, in the last 30 or so years, from one where we tended to be more community-focused to one where we become so materialistically... I mean, <laughs> we say so much has been destroyed in the riots. But if we go out today, you'd have thought people would have thought, hold on, let us stop and think. Let us reflect. It's perhaps time to, even if we don't say we have what you could say, a professing faith in the divine, it's time to even go to a place of worship to reflect on what's happened. But if we went up to Lewisham, if we went up to Croydon, if we went up to all these areas, right, what do we see? People are all about the consumeristic kind of um, things that drive them on. And in many ways, if you listen to most of the discussions on the radio and television, it seems people wasn't so concerned, it's, in my opinion, about the social, spiritual impact that it had had on almost everyone in this society. They were more concerned about the material things. I'm not for one moment being insensitive to people who had lost their livelihood. But it seems that we're more concerned about the damage done to, you know, our kind of, um, you know, sort of continual sort of um, preoccupation with consumer things. We're more interested in the fact that why is it the youth have actually looted and what are the items they looted? It's because of the things which they are bombarded with day and night on the TV. If you look, you know, if you, when, once you start analyzing it and breaking it down, what do you see? They focus more on the things that on the TV and all the big audience everywhere, right? These are the things that will make you happy. These are the things that will bring you gratification. And we have unfortunately brought up a generation of youth who doesn't necessarily understand the clear values of right or wrong. We've brought up a generation of youth who don't understand simple things that we take for granted, like delayed gratification. For instance, when I was a child, your parents or those your carers would always say, right, if you are good, if you behave, if you do well at school, if you are somebody that actually do your chores on time, 
We may consider giving you a present at school. We may consider giving you this. So in that way, your parents, your carers are already teaching you that very, very, very important quality of delayed gratification, that you don't just get things for nothing, right? There has to be something positive that you have to do in order. But we brought up a generation of young people who says, right, you can have it now and have it any way you can. But going back to the message, Solomon was not trying to sort of um, spin out a message that, right, life is about, you know, feeling good. Life is about being as happy as you can. What Solomon is saying is, remember you're creating your youth. Remember God, right, as a starting point. And that life will present a whole range of different challenges and different problems. So it's not just people out there that are affected, it's also us, even as believers. Yet, even in our churches today, we don't seem to be so much focused around the message of the gospel, which is about what? Man being redeemed by the cross of Jesus Christ. More and more, the churches that seem, and I'm being very general, the churches that are, seem to be attracting the largest following are the largest crowds on Sunday, are those who want to hear messages that says, right, right? If you pray long enough, if you say the right kind of prayer, if you donate the right amount of money, if... You do all the right things, right? Some other you can manipulate God and God will ensure that you have an abundance in wealth. You will, in fact, and I think this one day this week on the radio I was hearing one preacher was almost saying that, well, you know, if you put into place all the right things, right, God will heal you no matter what your situation is. It's because you lack faith. You don't have enough faith. Why are you not getting healing? And perhaps if you come to my ministry, I will show you how Right? You can actually develop the strategy to actually get healing. And I thought, no, he perhaps not reading the same Bible or not reading the Bible the same way as I understood it. Because in fact, Jesus says, right, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. Right? And the Christian life is a life that quite leads, means self-denial and also leads to suffering. Right? And only Christ alone can give us the strength to stand by that suffering. So here we have Solomon Already now, perhaps approaching mid, um, um, old age, and realizing, says, hold on, I've been looked back at his life. If you, look, if you read the, um, the first part of Ecclesiastes, what you see is Solomon coming to realization that, hold on, having had over 700, is it 700 wives or 300 concubines? In Solomon's day, silver wasn't worth anything. Today, silver is one of the highest, one of the few commodities that are rising on the stock market alongside gold. In Solomon's day, silver wasn't worth anything. That's to put in perspective how wealthy this man was, right? And he actually, right, I would say he had a lot of wisdom for other people, but he didn't seem to apply that wisdom to himself because he made some very serious errors. He brought in a lot of idols into the land of Israel, right? He focused more on the things of the flesh rather than the things of God. So he was led astray. But it's now when he comes to the end of, towards the end of his life and he's reflecting, he's looking and he says, hold on. What is most important is to know God, to be committed to God. It has been, in some sense, partly a wasted life. And this is a man, as I said, that was so wealthy that we can't even put a figure to it. A man who had every pleasure there was to be known to man under the sun at the time. Now, as we come back to the main theme, which is young people remembering their, their creator and their youth. There are three reasons, three motives why we should always remember God. 
First and foremost, we owe it to God. Yeah? God has exclusive right to our worship. Again, using an analogy, what we saw happen is a form of idolatry. And we ourselves, even as Christians, get so taken in by our own subtle forms of idolatry. We make choices quite often, which hasn't got anything to do with God, but more to do with our own desire and gratification. That is a form of idolatry. And so we need to always, even as believers, remember first and foremost that we owe our exclusive worship to God. Right? The potter has complete power over the clay. Right? We have no right to forget him and go our own way. He is totally sovereign. And as I've said quite often, all the other roles we fulfilled have got their sort of context, their contextual. So when I'm with my children, when I'm dealing with things to do with my children, I'm a father. When I'm doing things with my wife, I'm a husband. When I'm at work, I'm a professional of this kind. When I'm in my neighborhood, I'm a neighbor. However, there's no time I'm not a Christian. Every aspect of that, those roles, are underpinned by me as a Christian, my Christian faith. Even when, believe it or not, and I'll be a little bit there, even when I go into the bathroom and do my daily chore, do whatever I do, I still have to give God thanks. Because the day may come when your particular sort of um, motions aren't working, and then you will realize how much you're taking them for granted. So even at that time, I still have to give God thanks that I go into the bathroom when I come out of the bathroom. I still have to give God thanks that there's breakfast on my table. I have to give God thanks as I go out through the door and board the bus on the way to work because I oftentimes see so many things that can so easily end my life or end anybody else's life. Just running across the road to catch the, the bus so that I'm not late. Something easily could happen if it wasn't for the grace and protection of God, as my dear sister was sharing. So there's no time in our lives when we somehow get to suspend right, our Christian identity. Right? It should be at the very core of our being, the very core of our essence, continually, all the time. Secondly, we owe it to ourselves. Some people might believe that youth is a time for pursuing pleasure without any responsibility and no ethical constraints. We see that continually. But as Pastor Ephraim says, let us not start pointing fingers. Let us look in the mirror. Let us reflect on ourselves. Because the children of today, right, are those of the parent of yesterday. And so on and so forth. So children don't just born and just decide that they're going to become bad. They must have learned, right, their sort of, um, what we say, antisocial behavior, those kind of um, unethical conduct from somewhere. It's a model's. And quite often, the adults gave them models that was not appropriate, that was not edifying. And that is a result of what we're seeing today in our streets. So, we owe it to ourselves to also remember God. So remembering God for himself, remembering God for ourselves also. And it's interesting that Again, something that I am very, very cognizant of, something that I'm very alert to, is how today it's very hard because I work very much within right, an educational context. And we work more within with the young people who have difficulty engaging in education. And what quite oftentimes disturbs me is how it's very hard sometimes to actually motivate young people to get engaged. Very, very difficult. 
And dare I use the word, which may be politically incorrect, there seems to be a laziness and inertia. Oh, I can't get up. Oh, you know, I, I can't get up for uh, 11 o'clock to meet you. Oh, can you make it 2 o'clock? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. I said, I said, hold on. I, I'm saying not so long ago, I'm being old-fashioned. I said, not so long ago, at 9 o'clock, and you were still in bed at home. Yeah, you better be very ill, because my daddy ain't going to tolerate that. <laughs> right? Yeah, and said, okay, I will arrange this for you. Right? Put on this particular program. Either to actually enroll at college, I'll come and actually get you out of the house. I'll send one of my colleagues to actually accompany you. Right? And even then, they don't seem to be at all motivated or they don't seem to be interested. Yeah, it seems that we've created a generation of very passive, passive, docile young people as well. And it goes back to the kind of armed statistics which says, you know, in any sort of armed given society at any given time, right, 90% of us are underactive and 10% are actually the ones who are doing most of the work. So it doesn't surprise when in fact, right, there are so many... So few people who go on to realize a lot of their potential. And it's not necessarily because they have any less ability, because God gave us all abilities, God gave us all talents. But quite often, because we are not seizing the opportunities, right, we miss out. And then we wonder, after we reach a certain point in life, why, this, why haven't I not achieved this, why haven't I achieved that? It's because there have been so much time spent doing what I consider wasted things, things which have been distracting, things which have been an hindrance. And sorry to, you know, I need to share that with you. Some of what I see today amongst young people um, would like to have said something more positive. Not to say that they're not other young people who are really getting on, really aiming for the stars, aiming for the skies. There are. Third, we owe it to our future, right, to commit ourselves to God. And Solomon is saying, start young, because why? The days ahead are going to be very difficult. Right? My dad used to say something um, when we were young and sometimes never used to take school too seriously. He used to say, and I try and quote him in a sort of um, Jamaican accent, right? You can play now and pay later. Or if you pay now, you will play later. In other words, if you focus on the right things when you're young, right, it will be easier to manage difficulties, the challenges that comes ahead when you become as an adult. Whereas if you just squander your youth, right, it would be much harder to adjust. I'm sure many of you could perhaps remember when you were growing up, if you lived with your parents, how many times your parents would be beating on about making sure you keep the lights off, don't burn the electricity, you don't just kind of um, have an irresponsible attitude about, um, you know, using the utilities in the home, wasting etc. And I'm sure your parents what I says what to you at some point says, one day you're going to find out. Because I've told you enough, you're not hearing now, but one day when you grow up and you have your responsibilities later on, you are going to find out what I've been saying. Now, I'm talking about how I was taught to be and I found out. But yet, if you do not spend your youth preparing for those kind of challenges, and also, more importantly, the spiritual challenges that are to come. And this is what Solomon, the heart of Solomon's message. Right? That's where many of us get into a lot of difficulties because of wasted youth. So, just reiterate those three points. First and foremost, we owe it to God to remember him in our youth. Secondly, we owe it to ourselves. 
and we owe it to our future. Now, let's unpack some of those verses that I um, read earlier. Just like to turn to verse 3. It says, In the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong burn down, we see here is what Solomon is actually talking about is our hands and our arms. As we get older, I attended school on this side, same school as Pastor Patrick attended. And I can remember, I represented the school in five different sports. But now, it's a fading memory. I can recall not so long ago when my friends would phone me up. I said, oh, do you want to come and play a game of football? And I would say to them, you know what? Yeah? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. <laughs> Cannot do that anymore. So what Solomon is saying when he talks about the keepers of the house are the hands and arms, right? As we grow older, right? Those aspects... Our bodies become weaker, they become less strong. Right? Remember you're creating your youth. You're much more stronger, you're much more virile, you're much more energetic. Right? That is the time that we can really, you know, go out there and respond immediately to the call of God. But Solomon is now saying that as we go older, the arms and the legs begin to grow weak, we become less strong. We haven't got the same strength as we had so the legs and yes so i'm sure some of us can relate to that here i feel at times i'm the elder statement here in calvary chapel but i'm sure there's some that are not so far behind and if you're not <laughs> yeah you may be going to the gym four or five times a week trying to sort of um turn the clock back but you cannot turn the clock back you might think that you marginally slow the clock down but yeah yeah the law of nature yeah, is it the second law of um, thermodynamics says everything is on a decline. So, right, what well, I'd encourage you, you know, um, find a much more economical way. You know, don't join the fad and think so that somehow you're turning the clock back. Don't spend any of this money on this cosmetic and as you find many of these, right, celebrities do and so on. Yeah, you're wasting your time, you're wasting your resources, right? <laughs> yeah, and just to reiterate a point I made some, some time ago, I said, in fact, evidence has shown that right, people who go to church live healthier and longer. People who go to church, when they normally go into hospital, have a higher rate of recovery than people who do not go to church, who do not have a professing faith. Right? The only one bit of that sort of um, package of statistics that I would say to us as Christians that I felt a little bit disappointed about was where the same sort of um, researchers found that the people that was most contented in life were the people who claim to have a Buddhist faith, right? And the reason being, because Buddhism tend to have a very, very neutral view about the material world. And somehow we as Christians should have been at the highest point and we should be able to be showing the Buddhist says, no, hold on, this is actually, right? The way in which we relate to the natural world. But in fact, we have become quite oftentimes the slave of the materialism that drives the rest of our society. We as Christians, am I right? Am I saying what is correct, true, right? Yeah. So, the keepers of the house, the hands and the legs. The grinders, right? When the grinders, I'm still in, chapter, in verse three, when the grinders cease because there are few, it is here talking about the teeth, right? If you go to the dentist now, I'm telling you, when you're my age, when you go to the dentist, my goodness, it costs as much as a mortgage almost. Well, before you, your dentist even open your mouth, he's already telling you, right? Just for a visit, it's costing you so much. 
And wow, right? When he actually presents a bill, right? He said, Lord, have mercy, right? <laughs> right. So it's already telling you, right? To be prepared, right? And I know some of you ladies in particular like to make sure your teeth look right and so on and so forth. But it normally comes at quite an expensive cost, right? So here Solomon is saying the grinders, yeah? They are becoming less and less. And just with older folks, they started to actually do what? Wear dentures. Their teeth start losing, they start losing their teeth quite quickly. Verse 4. Sorry. And those that look through the windows grow dim, Right? This is a refer to the eyes. At one time, I had 20-20 vision. Right? The optician had no problem. But now, right, if I do not have my glasses, I could not read a thing here. Yeah? Be prepared again. The eyes will grow dim. Right? And remember what I said. Solomon is speaking about perhaps those of us more so in the 20th and 21st century, 20th and 21st century than he was. Right? Seven or eight hundred years BC. Right? So... Here again, their eyes start, right? Yeah, the, the, your vision starts to deteriorate. Verse 4, when the doors are shut in the streets, again, here, Solomon is talking about the ear, right? The ear again deteriorate. Have you, I don't know if any of you have any elderly relative, and I, I found now my father at 81, you've got to repeat things several times. Yeah, he struggles to hear what you say the first time. Sometimes I thought I'd raise your voice. I'll be prepared to read several. And my dad used to have very sharp ears when he was young. But now, and so it is, with more and more elderly people, as you get older, your hearing also deteriorates. Right? Even the sound of music don't come through with that clarity that you once knew. And even if I just share something again, I recall when I was a um, teenager in my parents' house, it was always, turn the music down, turn the music down. Um, yet now, I'm the one who goes to my children, turn the music down, turn the music down. Because suddenly I find that I'm getting even a little bit intolerant to loud music. Whereas before, it was something that was part and parcel yeah, of my everyday sort of existence. So, there you see, right, the ears, the hearing start to deteriorate. Verse Yes, same, same in, it's still in verse 4. It, it talks about the sound of the grinding. This is where the voice was once strong, but now it becomes even more quiet. It fades to almost a whisper. You don't often see, I mean, you may occasionally, but again, if you go into the company of all the elderly people, they speak much more quietly generally than most of us. They don't speak with that same kind of arm loud, right? With that. And so it is, the voice starts to fade. Are you beginning to form that picture in your head why it is so important, even as believers, to remember you're creating the world? Because why? Our faculties can be so much more effective. I do not say for one moment that, oh yes, somebody who is elderly could not be an effective witness. Yes, God through his sovereign will and sovereign power can use anyone at any time do his purpose. Yeah, Moses was after all 80 when he was called to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. However, if Brother Mike P was looking for um, evangelists every Friday and whenever at a time to go out and be available and to be there in, you know, ready to respond to all the different kind of um, challenges, um, 
Mike, you know, Brother Mike would not perhaps be looking for people who are in retirement age generally. He'd be looking for younger people. Because he says, I call you because you're strong. You know, God knows. He made us in such a design, us in such a way that we are much more able to serve him effectively when we're young and strong. So again, Solomon is here warning us that as we get older, even our voice, yeah, starts sort of our move to a whimper, become even more selective about how often we speak and even how often we are able to project our voice. Moving on, the rise up to the sound of a bird while all the daughters of music. This is again about older people, when you become elderly, when you become old, right? If you notice with older people, they don't sleep as long as um, younger people, right? Yes, and it's not necessarily because they don't need as much sleep, it's because they're so easily disturbed from their sleep. I just want to say something briefly, you know, there's two generally different types of sleep. There's deep sleep, right? And there is a sleep where you dream most of the time, which is a rapid movement of sleep, right? Older people have less deep sleep. For instance, if you are in a deep sleep, it's very hard to wake you up during that period, right? It has a biological purpose, primarily to sort out all the information that's going on inside your head from the previous day. So you need that deep sleep undisturbed to be able to sort out a lot of that info that the brain has been bombarded with, right? Yeah. Older people have less deep sleep. They have a much greater span of light sleep. And that's the reason why many of them, you'll find, will wake very early in the morning, probably sometimes struggling to get enough hours during the night Right, so here again, you see, and as you know, as a result, the body is then exhausted, not having recovered sufficiently. So they struggle to get through the next day because, and if, you may have heard something, they feel quite, they get tired quite easily. That's because they're not getting enough sleep. Right, so this is here what Solomon is forewarning us about. Being afraid of height, yeah, that's self-explanatory, right? Many older people won't necessarily, will find it all, they will always hesitate to talk about climbing stairs, climbing to any heights, anything that will bring risk, because their bodies start to become more vulnerable, more fragile, so they have to be much, much more selective of actually going into any place that will bring risk of that type. Right. Moving on, being afraid of, yes, the terror's in the way. What we saw in the last four days was quite frightening, was quite disturbing, was quite challenging. As we get into old age, as you may know, I live next to um, a couple of elderly people, and they're scared of even going to open their doors at most times, even though there's no immediate danger as such. But even afraid of going outside, and in some ways, that's what you find. The people who are generally more afraid of what is happening on the outside or elderly people. That's not necessarily because outside is more dangerous, but it is because as your body slows down, right, you feel more vulnerable. And as you feel more vulnerable, your fear levels start to go up. So again, you see, as you get older, right, even your fear arousal goes up, right? And you can see where if you was a believer, 
and you hadn't appeared from your youth, as you get older, you feel less confident to be doing those things of the Lord. Yeah, following me? Right. The blossom of the almond tree, and this is where I have to be very, very careful. It's not talking about the gray here. You're here turning gray. You know, I've got some signs of that already. And we see that. So many of you folks who might be spending whatever amount trying to keep your hair looking nice and, you know, black and whatever, right? Be conscious that what's happening on the lead in the roots, right, is already taking place. As one person once told John Collins, who has actually had so many different kind of um, makeovers, etc. One person, one comedian once said to her, right, you can do as much as you like, but the mileage is still there. So, right, yeah, I just, it's recently I was at work and um, we got into the lift and in the lift at work, there's glasses all around. And one lady was there looking, at, oh gosh, there's a gray hair. And then she turned and she saw me and she saw, oh. she said, oh, sorry, I didn't mean you. I said, no, I'm not offended, <laughs> right? Yeah? But there again, it's saying that, you know, even there, right? You know, there it is, those changes happening, Right? Don't become so preoccupied. Another thing we have in our sight is that we're so preoccupied with self, right? What they call it, nihilist. We're so, you know, consumed. We're so obsessed with how we project ourselves, how we present ourselves, how we engage people, right? How people should engage to us. So consumed by self. So even ourselves, we turn into idols. The grasshopper is a burden. And this is talking about the joints, free movement. Um, again, as you get older, the joints start to seize up, right? Yeah, and doesn't matter the amount of vitamin supplements you use or drugs, right? It might just give you some brief respite, but in essence, right? They're going along at a point of no return. It's irreversible, right? Your desires fall to your appetites, right? The things that you may once enjoy when you were young, right? That also decline. Again, if I, you know, you know if you look at healthy people, they don't eat those huge hearty meals that many of us, right, love to enjoy. They're very selective. And eat only a much more small selective amount and types of food, right, for various reasons. So even that itself also, right, is in a state of decline. And the writer goes on to say, after all, we go to our eternal home. And the mourners go about the street, right? This is not talking about eternal life. What Solomon is talking about here is that once this life is over, you're not coming back here, right? The eternal home is simply the grave, right? The idea that this life is gone forever. There's no return, no reincarnation. No one bringing back to life by cryonic technology. I don't know if you know cryonic technology, where these people... I've paid huge sums of money. I believe Michael Jackson was one of them. So I read anyway. I'm not sure if there's any truth in it. But these people have spent huge sums of money to give to these scientists who believe that if you freeze the body, that maybe sometime in the distant future, some scientists will discover a way in which to restore the person back to life. Well, even from a scientific perspective, I would have difficulty believing in that because once you die, which part of your person starts to decline most rapidly. The brain, immediately, right? The brain immediately goes into almost, you know, 
a quick, a very rapid decline. It started to erupt very quickly, by milliseconds, not even by minutes, by milliseconds, right? Yeah, you quite often see of people in coma, etc. And it's what's not functioning. The body's fine. You know, you know, we've got the medical science that we can keep the body alive indefinitely. But the brain is just about, right, showing on the kind of ECG, right, electrical impulse. And it's declining every, every milliseconds. So I think those people, right, are wasting their, their money. They could be doing something more productive and give it to something that would benefit those who are in great need. But to think that scientists somehow in the future, because the scientists will not have much of that person left to restore anyway. So I think that that's a totally complete waste of time and waste, a fantasy. It's a fantasy that can't really be realized, right? Yeah. So as the writer is saying, right, we all go to eternal home. We all go to the grave. That's final as far as this life is concerned. There's no returning. And it mentions about the mourners going about the street. Because at funerals, at the death of somebody, there's a great depth of sadness associated with death. We see this in Jesus' life when he went to, this, went to Lazarus' home and found that he had been dead three days, four days. And he cried. Yet he, he knew he was going to bring Lazarus back. But just the sheer grief, the sheer pain of knowing that somebody very close had passed on. Right? had also reached into the very humanity of Jesus. And he wept. So that shows the impact that the diet of death of somebody close has on others around. Because it is final as far as this world is concerned. And just moving on quickly. Silver cord is loose. Some theologians suggest that this is the deterioration of the spinal column. Again, as we get older, our bodies... You know, we, you notice certain old little people they start to hunch a bit forward because the spinal column has been stretched, it's weakened. Can't stand with that same uprightness that they once were able to do so. Right? Right? Their movement is very much limited. Right? The golden bowl. This is possibly referring to the brain. Interestingly, that after the age of 30, we lose more brain cells than we replace. How many people here are under 30? <laughs> right, so we are in, <laughs> we are already, our brains are already deteriorated faster than we are replacing cells. Yeah. No, no major mathematical invention was made by anyone over 30. All the major mathematical inventions were made by people under 30. Right, so at this moment in time, Right? Our brains is already what? Yeah? <laughs> as I as use a scientific term, atrophy, it is actually deteriorating. Right? Yeah? And if you smoke and if you drink, it deteriorates even faster. You kill off thousands of brain cells. You have billions, but you kill off thousands of brain cells if you're smoking and if you're drinking regularly. So, and as we get older, as we move forward, you begin to see things like People become more senile, Parkinson's disease, all these things which affect the brain, etc. Right? So it restricted, inhibits the person's ability to think, to verbalize all those operations that is associated closer with the brain. 
So Solomon is saying, yes, that even started the decline. So some people are saying, oh, no, no, um, if my brain is still functioning well, I can still get on and lead a fulfilling life. Up to a point, and it's come up with these, very, these schemes and said, right, if you read more, if you do these kind of, um, you know, brain kind of um, exercise, it will somehow yeah, protect your cognitive faculties. No, it doesn't protect it. What it does, it keeps certain parts of it more active. Yeah, it keeps more parts active. But other parts, most of it is actually still, right, contracting. It's contracting. And you find now, for instance, um, scientists are forecasting that um, most people that are born in the Western world after the year 2000, 50% of them are likely to live to be 100. But what kind of life will they be living when they're 100? That's the question that has to be addressed. So again, right, we're all in a state of decline and old age. It is very, 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 very much more apparent in the light of the gospel. The picture at the fountain, right, that is a reference to the heart and the circulation of the blood. That eventually, right, again, as you get older, right, blood circulation problem creeps in, hypertension, right, all the various types that the doctors then monitor are, when you go along for a medical checkup, they monitor all these things to see what state they're in. And yes, they can prescribe various medication to arrest them, to slow them down. But in essence, if your medical practitioner is actually being very open and upfront and said, you said, no, overall, right, our body is in this state of continual decline. So even the blood, the heart, you know, we always get in this campaign about looking after your heart. Yes, we should. But the heart is a machine like any other that eventually, right, reaches a point of no return. So again, Solomon is saying, right, yeah, there's no part of us that is untouched. So the terms loose, broken, shattered, all of these actions portray death as tragic and irreversible. So Solomon is saying, right, he's not saying, you know, these things is just going to what happened to you and final and full stop and that's all you should be preoccupied. No, Solomon is saying, hold on, when you're young, remember God, prepare for what, you can only prepare for what is to come through trusting in God, through building a relationship with God. And Solomon isn't just speaking from a distance and saying, right, I've been given this message and I'm sharing it with you. Solomon is talking about it based on his own reality, his own experience. So, the message is, remember your creator, that you will have the blessing of old age with God, step by step. Because I've met other older people who, now, I went yesterday to Central or Westminster in response to the call for Christians to come together to really spend time praying and reflecting. And I was kind of very touched, very moved to see so many elderly people, so young people, people around my age, but so many elderly people who took the time to come and to really put this nation before God. And having spoken to one gentleman next to me who was now 92, and, you know, I could have spent another three hours listening to him 
telling the stories of how God had used him mightily. And I says, well, this is no accident that God would have put this man beside me in preparation for today. Because he could speak so joyfully. Yes, you can see where he no longer had all his faculties. Is here, you know, out there any year, you know, two foot's missing, right? He was kind of um, trembling and there. He could barely stand up. He had to sit down more. But he could, when the songs, when the prayers went up, sing with such a heart of triumph. And having listened to his stories, listened to his testimonies, how he had been available to God right throughout his life journey, that in many ways tells me here, says, right, what Solomon is saying is not simply that old age is a time of doom and gloom. Old age is something that is somehow right, to be in fear of. Old age can be a time of rejoicing. Old age can be a time of looking back and saying, thank you, Lord, that you've brought me so far. Thank you, Lord, that I can still stand and give you praise. I can still glorify you. Remember your creator in your youth. This message, I hadn't written into the script, but what has happened in the last four years, uh, four days, sorry, five, Monday and um, Tuesday, uh, it affected me in a number of ways. It affected me emotionally, affected me spiritually, uh, affected me professionally. Right? It made me look at myself and say, right, as somebody who had worked with young people, for the best part of 30 odd years and has seen these changes and seen a new generation of young people growing up who seems to have no moral compass right asking myself before God first question is what have I failed to do to prevent this to perhaps prevent this from happening not what they have done wrong but what have I done what have I failed to do and one of the things that the Lord spoke to my heart, I have not been praying enough. I've been so occupied with trying to find solutions, right, through the secular methods. Not to say that all together. I'm not saying that because, yeah, I'm a professional and I need to use those methods and those tools, right, which have some record of working. But we can so sometimes get so easily dependent on them and think that they only have the solutions. But quite often all we're doing is just putting an anesthetic to a very, very deep-rooted cancer. I was sharing with um, a couple of the brothers here that I went to a conference in the spring, and it was called the Morris Compass of the Child. And this room was filled with some very high-powered people. They were sitting on the um, platform, uh, people like the former Commission of Children, Ainsley Green, and several members of parliament. And one of the persons who was given a prime spot at this conference was the chair of the secular society. And he came with a clear agenda to say, religion and faith is detrimental to children. We should go for an all-out ban in all our schools, in all Right, of our institutions that bring forward um, any, any, any form or any reference to religion. Religion is divisive, this is its history, etc., etc. And 
you could hear the people didn't claw because it was a polite audience they didn't actually applaud because they're all professionals you know stiff necks so they don't actually openly applaud they sort of but you could hear mm, around the room and right i felt no this could not go unchallenged so i i i got up and a bit of heckling and just ask a few questions and says, all right, hold on. Can you tell me of one, tell me of who actually established the school system in this country? Who established the hospitals? Who established the universities? Right? Furthermore, these names, Shaftesbury, Booth, Wesley, Muller, so on. Were there men that were inspired and fired by their Christian faith or were there people who just thought, right, I've got a political idea, I've got a social idea. Let me see where it can go. No, these were men, and there were many women as well, right, who stood against the grain and says, no, 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 what we see around us cannot go untouched. We have a conviction. We have got a God-given duty to respond to it. So in many ways, much of what we have come to take for granted in this country in terms of welfare programs, right? Care for the poor, universal schooling, universal medical care. It did not originate on some political mandate. It was not Karl Marx who invented or originated it. It was Christians who were fired up, right? By the living God. I, so I asked him, says, can you tell me Right. Would this country have been better off or worse off? Or this world would be better off or worse off if these people did not respond to that call? <clears throat> I'll speak to you afterwards. That was his response. Right. Yeah. So, but unfortunately, I just shared this back with you. But what, unfortunately, at that, at that particular conference, and I said, these are the movers and shakers in the society, right, that governments call out, right? There was a certain sense in that room that most of them didn't want to have anything to do with faith and they were using this that occasion as a platform to if you like go to the next phase of banning any form of reference to god in our school so that as, as far as i see the next generation of children would have little knowledge or notion of the divine so what happened in early part of this week, linking those two together, right? I says, and I sent, um, an, e I sent an email to Pastor Ephraim and saying, well, if the leaders in society have no moral framework, how can we expect our young people to have any great sense of right or wrong? And this is a result of what we're seeing. And just very quickly, I'll just say to you, I was, I was also impacted. I was actually at, on Friday morning, preparing a presentation for a group of professionals. And in this preparation, I had a, a, a young man referred to me who, on the 14th of July, had been caught for the attempted theft of a car. And just a simple, what you'd say, relatively minor misdemeanor as an attempted step of a car. It takes somewhere in the region of 250 professional hours to actually put together 
a pre-sentence report for him to go to court with. Just, just put that into perspective. Just a minor offence of that, 250 professional hours involving psychologists, lawyers, teachers, right, court officers, youth workers, so many. Just one minor crime. On Friday, I'm at a multi-professional meeting just presenting right, the final draft to my colleagues for what's called a Q&A session. They would then give me feedback and say, well, there's any things that need to change. And in the middle of actually carrying out this Q&A session, one of the admin staff comes in and says, oh, the telephone number, there is a youth offending team officer in Enfield who wants to speak to you urgently. One of my colleagues goes out to takes the call, right, and he comes back and he says, stop what you're doing. Stop. That same young man had only been caught actually having stolen a car. So it's coupled everything we've done. So that 250 hours that went into preparing just that case report, yeah, was all but thrown in the bin. Furthermore, he's not going to be let out. He's going to be held in remand for having stolen a car. Right. And this was a young man that I'd spent the best part of 10 hours trying to understand the impact that it has on when you steal and so forth. And it was extremely difficult. He could not empathize. He could not relate to the impact it has when he stole. He could not relate to what impact it had on his family. He could not relate to what impact it had on his community. I could easily turn and I says he's evil, he's no good and so forth. But no, I have to ask myself both as a professional and as a Christian, why is this 17-year-old doesn't seem to have a conscience of right or wrong? What hasn't happened in his life? Why he hasn't got? And I can't simply say it is his mom, because his mom is a very religious, very sounds like very caring, trying to raise five children on her own. I can't say it's the school. I can't say it's this institution or that institution. The only place I can say is all of us have a responsibility. All of us has to give an account before a holy, righteous, and loving God. And that is a challenge that I think awaits all of us. And so, I return back to the topic of my message today. That not only is for us important to remember God at all times, but to be impressing on our young people, right? However, God has impressed on our hearts that remembering God is the most important thing at the start of their youth and throughout. Thank you. Let's pray.